0: Welcome back to the Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar,
1: and I'm Tom Knezek. And today's we're buzzing into episode 176. And before we get into all the fun native plant stuff, we like to do a little bit of follow up on some past episodes. So, Fran, I'm going to read this one as it's written and say Spotify reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so we we you can't really
0: re- you can't really write a review on Spotify, but you can now ask a question and let mm-hmm. people answer. And I find it interesting that I can't respond to any of the things that people write, but someone said, "Hey, if I leave a comment on Spotify, yeah, does that count as the same thing as leaving a review on Apple Podcasts?" Yeah, so, we hadn't discussed it, so I didn't know how you felt about it.
1: I I would I don't I don't really know because <laughs> we can't respond to them. Um I I think we should. Well,
0: we can't respond to a review right. either on, on Apple. Yeah. But if yeah. you want to say something positive in a Spotify comment, we'll – I mean that's probably our second most – we get the most listens from Apple Podcasts. Spotify is is mm-hmm. a distant second, but maybe we should count that just so we're including Android users as well, I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, What I – What's the one that has a, a question and comment? Oh, I think let's... it was. Ooh. Good question.
0: Um, While well, they all have a question, I think someone commented on the last Camille Dungy one.
1: Okay, let me take a look. I was because that's yeah. what sparked the question. Okay, that's a weird feature that Spotify has. It is a weird thing. Is like man. I can't see that person's. On my Spotify account. Now, it doesn't know oh. I'm the creator, but I can't see their question.
0: And I did publish it. Yeah. Like, the, when the question comes in, you choose whether I wonder you want to if publish I, it.
1: I wonder if I have to type something in there. Oh, we're, we're working right now. I don't know. doesn't say anything. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how all this works. Uh,
0: maybe we're the only ones to
1: see it. I don't know, yeah. but
0: I I had the option because it says publish I it. can
1: read the reply that I wrote, but I can't see anyone else's reply. Uh, interesting. But we can see. The we important see thing it. is Fran is able to see if you do that. So we'll. And count. somehow you're able to reply to those, but I don't know how. I can't. It. No, it doesn't give me. It gives me the option to publish,
0: but not reply. Huh. Interesting. Publish, delete, or that's it. All right.
1: Yeah, but I think yes, we'll, we'll okay. do that. All right, but it's gotta be. It's I well, how do you, how do you receive the? I'm on the. I'm not on the receiving end of these. I get an things. email. So you me get an know. email. So it could be on any episode, and you'll get it. Yeah. and then you can compile it. Or I was gonna say, should they have to leave it on the Camille Dungy episode just so no, that they're all in one ha- anywhere. place? Anywhere I, I
0: think anywhere. And the the interesting thing is, I don't make up a questions. They yeah, I can. But they just do a generic what did you think of this episode. Yeah. Yep. So and that's what people are responding to. So if, if you leave a comment on a Spotify episode, we will count that the same as an Apple yeah, review. I think that's fair. And we did have I love that and, and we'll get into this during listener shout outs, but someone left their review and titled it episode one eighty as a reminder, because we I never remember what we agree upon. So I remember like, I remembered hey, it was <laughs> episode one eighty. Yeah. So episode one eighty, we're gonna pick two winners. We have two autographed copies of soil that we're going to give out. So uh, we're just going to figure out. I think – what are we going to do? Assign a a random number to each review? Uh, Yes, And figure out if we're going from the bottom up or for the – Yeah,
1: remember last time we did this and we – We didn't know which way we were going. We're going to figure it out. It was number 37 is the winner, but then we didn't know if we were counting back 37 or from the beginning.
0: And now we have to figure (laughs) out where –
1: where the Spotify
0: people will yeah, yeah, yeah. will land on that as well. Yep. So we'll we'll figure it all out. We'll figure it out. All right. But that's the only thing I had for follow up. I didn't know if you had anything. Um
1: add. I guess it's it's not necessarily follow up. It's it's uh, uh alluding to the future. An yeah. episode we recorded yesterday that is yeah. gonna air next Friday. And um I'm I'm gonna apologize in advance for how like crazy some of my rambling is about mosquitoes (laughs) and zika virus i have a really well-formed thought it just does not come out well-formed at all
0: no and the funny thing is we're going to be discussing this you know i don't want to get too far ahead my article deals with some of that and then we're going to have a guest on that i'll talk about when we talk about the article but
1: so for those of you listening to this now and then when you hear that Know that I'm trying to say that oftentimes I feel like we overreact to a minor problem and it gets blown in proportion out of proportion by the media. Yeah. Um, and it's not just with environmental stuff; it's with all kinds of stuff. And uh, and sometimes the the cure is worse than the cause in in some instances, not all. Um, but I feel I, afterwards I'm like, am I making? I don't want people to think I'm making light of like West Nile and Zika. Like no, they're really no. really terrible things. But, but um, it,
0: it, it goes well in context with what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I agree. Like there's – there there tends to be a huge knee-jerk reaction, yeah.
1: which is you got to scale it back a little bit. A big knee-jerk rea- reaction that – and this is the part I was really getting at. That someone is making money off of, yes. and that's why they're, it's driving um, like this fear and panic that you need to get rid of all the mosquitoes for – not just because they're a nuisance in your yard, but because they're life threatening, yeah. and because well, that makes somebody money. Yeah, or, or, was, or ticks. We're going to get rid yeah. of the ticks because of Lyme disease, yeah. and we're going to save you that. But yep.
0: Yep. we we discuss that. You'll you'll understand it more when you hear next yeah. week's episode. <laughs> but yeah, so
1: I, I'm glad I'm putting it out beforehand so that people realize that. And eh, maybe it happened. I'll give them the benefit <laughs> of the doubt instead of doing it afterwards, and then people are like I'm. Wow, what? that sounds really, really dumb.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, 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 felt
1: it was all in good context. Yeah, yeah. all in good context. So, so um, all right, you have anything else other than that? No, I think we should get in the plants we're vibing with this week and start with that's hot.
0: That's hot.
1: Why don't you go? Because I agree with yours. Um, I, I just want to hear about it. Um, yeah, I can okay. do that, and um, I will say first that. I was actually going to pick your plant. Were you really? I really was. <laughs> and uh, and then I saw you had it in there, so I'm like, oh, I guess I got to find something else. And um, basically, my plant this week is one I saw last week, and it was Vernonia Novobor which is New York ironweed, one I'm sure we've talked about. We've definitely talked uh, about it on the podcast. Yeah. We've probably featured it here before. I might have even done it a year ago.
0: I don't and know. It looked
1: great. Um,
0: we but- have a couple around our pond oh, yeah. that
1: just look phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, a little bit from Jersey Friendly Yards about this plant is uh New York Ironweed features purple flowers, which bloom on tall stalks from August to September. Then flower nectar offers food to bees and butterflies, and the dried seeds offer food to birds. New York Ironweed can self seed vigorously, plant in a mass to use as a background plant in borders, meadows, and moist, naturalized areas of your yard. Uh, Keyword being moist, it's going to yeah. want moister soils. And uh, I actually just made a video about this plant that's on our Instagram oh, chat. I think, it's a, I think it got posted already. And, and, and background is a good key too because it does get tall. Yes. What's it, five yeah. to six? Uh, five to seven. And the ones it, I was standing next to were every bit of seven. Yeah. And because um, in the video, I even pointed out, like, these th- these plants are significantly taller than me. I'm six foot three. They were at least six foot taller than I am. Wow. But also it's a slope. It's a hill. So they're downhill from where I am and still taller and um, so they were just like full bloom, buzzing with life. There's like two a pair of monarchs that are feeding on the oh, nectar, very and cool. all kinds of little bees. And um, and then in the video, I call them it'll be. And then as I'm editing the video, I'm like, I don't think that's actually a bee. I think that's a fly. <laughs> <laughs> so I I put a little caveat in there saying maybe not a bee, <laughs> maybe. But maybe um, not. but it was just so a buzz with life. And when you have that mass planting now these were it was a small planting and it really just spread it's like but and mixed with the yellow golden rods uh just has like a really really like royal kind of color combination similar to that asters and golden rods that uh, robin wall kilmer writes about it's just like you have a wall of of this dark green with the really cool leaves that are all eaten up and then just like a mat of purple and, and in a big swath, it was like someone, an artist had taken it and painted it. It was so cool. And
0: so important late in the season when when pollinators are really starting to uh, lose some of their nectar sources as plants finish their blooms for the year. I love the late bloom on this one, like you said, along with uh, goldenrod and aster. Just that you could see that the pollinators just so happy <laughs> to yeah. have that source. Uh great choice. Fantastic choice.
1: Yeah. And and Fran, choose or uh, tell us about
0: my <laughs> other choice. <laughs> so I chose black gum or black tupelo, uh, which is Nyssa Sylvatica. Uh it's a fac wet species and ranges in height from thirty to 50, 30 to fifty foot tall, but can ultimately get much larger, can get 60 70 foot tall. Um, it has waxy dark green foliage that's very attractive to begin with. It turns reddish purple in the fall. And it kind of has tinges of orange and yellow. Its native range is from Maine to Florida, west to Texas, and north to Michigan. Uh, The tree is a honey plant, so bees will use the nectar or pollen to make honey. Uh, Flowers are male and female, born on separate trees, and they bloom in the April to June range, depending on where you're at. Uh, The reason why I picked this one, though, is the fruit, which is out right now. It's a uh, dark blue droop that can get up to a half inch long. Uh, it's bitter in taste, but it's loved by turkeys, robins, woodpeckers, thrushes, flickers, brown thrashers, and mockingbirds. And it's been cited as an important food source for songbirds getting ready to migrate. Um, and also in the cavities in the trunk, uh, woodpeckers, bats, and tree frogs will actually nest in it. So yeah. multi-use uh, – but you can't miss the berries right now. Yeah. Like they're yeah. – and they're on – Well, you can if you the birds get if them. If the birds get them. What is – so I, I always – Get this – like I know a petiole is what connects the leaf to the tree. A peduncle is what connects the flower to the plant. What is the stem that connects the fruit
1: to the tree? Uh, you're asking someone who last took a botany class 14 <laughs> years ago. Uh, All right. <laughs> and, I look. and I will add I, and gotta I, gotta I didn't do that well, <laughs> which is surprising with my – I feel like I should know this. Uh, What What connects the fruit to a tree? Oh gosh, the fruit. This is a a tree. This is a hard thing to look up quickly. Uh, and there's so many people like cursing at us right now. Yeah, I. And I'm sure there's others
0: that are like, oh, people yelling it out. Know that too. You know, it's funny because I'm searching it and and nothing is coming up. Maybe
1: you have you can make up a name.
0: Maybe. So if you have petiole and peduncle, it's got to be something with a P. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> there you go. How's that for all creativity? Right, yeah. All right. It begins with a P. <laughs> but, but it's very long. Yes. Like it's it's so the the fruit kind of dangles, which is which is very cool. So it, it really stands out. You have that dark green waxy leaf that's starting to turn reddish purple, and you have this dark blue black fruit that's that's kind of dangling off. You can't miss it. The birds are going crazy. It's it's just a, a very cool plant uh, to begin with. And, and black gum has very interesting curves in the branches. Like the branches almost – they have a lot of like zigzag motion in it. So it's – they're very twiggy, twiggy trees to begin with. So it just has a very cool look to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they definitely do. And why I was thinking about this plant was – while it is great for birds and turkeys and all kinds of things'll eat this um, people can eat them too and yeah. so yeah I was snacking on some I didn't know that I, I don't know why I didn't know it but I was just driving by a tree with my brother yesterday he's like yeah these are this one this and this is what he noticed is this tree is really sour but this tree is like really sweet and the the ones we were eating almost had like a flavor similar to like um if you ever picked like a wild grape and mixed it with a blueberry. Oh. And it had its own unique flavor too, but like those two is probably the most similar um, comparison that I could come up with. Even the sweet ones still had like a little bit of tartness to it. Um, but the the other tree was very tart, but it was just interesting just from tree to tree how they're sort of same thing happens with pawpaws where yeah. you get like, I wouldn't mean, say even on the same tree, you can have like wild variation in flavor. And uh, so that's, if you ever had a bad pawpaw, that shouldn't be your last pawpaw. Because the next one could be great. <laughs> I picked a couple the other day. And the first one, it was okay. But it wasn't, I wouldn't, it was, it wasn't great. It was, I don't even know if it was good. It was okay. But the one I had after that was by far the best one I've ever had. And they were same tree right next to each other. So.
0: All right. So I found the answer. Because I'm like, all right, it's a fruit stem. But mm-hmm. what is the stem called? So you have petiole for the leaf, peduncle for the flower, and a pedicel. Pedicel,
1: I've heard that before. Yeah.
0: For the stalk. Uh, let's see. Similar and another other plants. Let's see. A pedicel. Maybe I'm wrong. Now I'm reading it and I'm like, I don't know if it's really talking about what that is. For the... The botanical term for
1: the stem of a fruit or a vegetable. Well, is how? Pedicel. Well, yeah. So that's what, what it's would saying you. What would you say a fruit that has a structure and texture like a droop, but is does not uh, does not fit the actual technical definition of a droop? I don't know. It's drupaceous. Drupaceous. is a. Is, is that a real term? It's a real term from well from Wikipedia. It's a real term. Um But yeah, so other other fruits that are technically droops are coffee, jujubes, mangoes, olives, um, pistachios, uh, cashews, all members of the genus Prunus, including the almond, apricot, cherry, damson, peach, nectarine, and plum. All droops. Most stone fruits. Wow. Uh, it even talks about like how you can even have... Um, again, this is from Wikipedia, so it's not the most trusted source. But uh, I, I doubt anyone's really messing with the Wikipedia... The Wikipedia... Uh, the Wikipedia Oh yeah, like on on droops <laughs> <laughs> on droops. This has got to be someone who probably knows what they're talking about. Um, but a lot of uh, berries are actually druplets, where the individuals are the druplet, and then they form an aggregate fruit. Oh, off their own thing. Huh. Interesting. Very, see, even we learned something oh, today. Yeah. So yeah. pedicel. Are you gonna? Re- I'll remember that now. Yeah,
0: petiole, peduncle, and pedicel. You know,
1: is one thing I didn't learn until this year's with peaches. How there's, like, freestone and clingstone peaches, which, it, when you think about it, actually really makes sense. Uh, I didn't really I didn't know. I was like, a well, peach is a peach. Freestone peach, what's that? But, yeah, it just means that the flesh doesn't cling to the, the pit. Oh. Where clingstone, it, it's stuck on there. You ever have, like, there's some peaches yeah. you cut, it like, you cut yeah. the, what would it be? Not the equator. Oh, I guess you could cut the equator, but you'd cut the prime meridian. and um And then you twist it. And like the, it'll yeah. come off. There's some peaches that do, the skin just like rotate. <laughs> Those are clingstone peaches. The okay. ones where it doesn't come off. Uh, okay. The one where you can like twist it and pops right off. That's a free stone peach. Very so, cool. Yeah. Very cool. I yeah. saw
0: a a funny uh it was a Twitter or an X post. And someone just posted, oh, another wooden ball. Can someone please tell avocado producers to mix up the, the random toy inside? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> the, uh, the other – I wonder if an avocado
1: is a droop. I don't know. It might be. All right. Might be. Let's, a little up, let's... aside as you're looking that up, friend. is I'm I'm listening to a book now called The Wager by okay. David Grand. He's He wrote the book uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I also haven't read yet. Um, it's on my Libby wait list. But – yeah, uh, that's becoming a movie, Martin Scorsese movie with, like, Leo DiCaprio and all these okay. famous people. And I think it's about the start of the FBI in, like, the Old West. Um But the, he wrote this book about the Wager, which was a British naval vessel that okay. wrecked off of the coast of Chile. And – but in the book, he's talking about um, uh, all these nautical terms that are, like, just mo- like regular phrases of speech, like, under the weather – was when you were too sick on the boat, you went under the deck and you were under the weather. Uh, Like, three sheets to the wind was about, like, ropes that held the sails in place and they were worthless if something happened. Um, There's a whole bunch. There's, like, a whole – a lot – I mean, like, phrases that you wouldn't – when you're thinking about them, don't sound nautical at all. Like, under the weather, it doesn't necessarily sound nautical a lot of those are actually, like, nautical phrases because of the British Navy and then going to port towns. And the port towns kind of dictate a yeah. lot of language. I was bringing that up to talk about something else. Oh, yeah, Prime Meridian. <laughs> <laughs> how I described the peaches. <laughs> that was... Before they, like, talked about the Prime Meridian, it was... Um, they didn't really have, like, a way... You didn't know how far west you went. Oh, and that's okay. So what they would do is they kind of... Like, you could tell... In certain hemispheres, in the northern hemisphere, you could look at the sky and tell more easily where you were. When you're in the southern hemisphere, it's a lot harder. And so they would do, like, a calculation based on certain things, including dropping a rope with knots on it to tell how fast they were going. Because you're going against the rotation of the Earth. okay. So they had to know how fast they were going and something else. And that's where the term knots Knots comes from, from, with sailing for speed. And, um... But the prime meridian was like eventually kind of invented to help with that, I think. All right. And uh, so you kind of had like a little, like you could tell with the equator, you could tell if you are your latitude, but it was really hard to tell your longitude. That's what it was, and that's why they came up with that. And then uh, the GMT, you know, when you're looking at time, and you have to GMT. You know what GMT stands for? No, no clue. Greenwich Mean Time. And that was which I should know that, but this is where zero is. All right, (laughs) Greenwich Mean Time. All kinds like of I know the term Greenwich facts, meantime yeah. but if you do, if you were to say what
0: does it mean I'd be like I don't remember yeah, yeah. so all right so I did look up um Avocados is or- an avocado a droop and it says a stone fruit or droop meanwhile is a fleshy fruit with a hard pit inside which contains a single seed which are peaches nectarines plums and apricots droops have a fleshy mesocarp but a tough leathery endocarp an avocado is fleshy throughout so it cannot be considered a drupe. Oh, so it's kind of drupacious. Oh, oh, maybe. Let's see. Is an avocado drupacious?
1: <laughs> oh gosh, we uh, will really go down the rabbit hole today. Uh, it might uh, be a word that was made up. You know, uh it's
0: not really saying it's saying what it's not, but it's not yeah really saying what it is it's right. a climacteric single-seeded berry interesting all right Clim- climacteric single-seeded berry due to the imperceptible endocarp covering the seed yeah there you go yeah. that's your answer yeah Think about That, that I'm next, not
1: going to remember. Think about that next time you're all putting right. it on your toast, you, <laughs> you damn millennials, <laughs> <laughs> of which I am one.
0: All right, all right. All right. Back side to native second. plants, native plants. All right, how about <laughs> some this or that? We yeah. should move on. You can get with this or you can get with that. All right, so <laughs> the last buzz are uh, articles where I had the article on flammable natives and non-natives, and Tom's was on the garden rant, um, and the response to Alan Armitage's uh, mm-hmm. article, um, a lot of passionate, passion, passionate responses yeah. to that, this or that. Um, and a lot of people were very happy that you brought this article up, mm-hmm. and it showed with the uh the vote, and you won twenty one to ten. Yeah. So, and it exactly. makes sense. I mean, thank you,
1: everyone, except for Brad Madrinsky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Voted we had for- to vote for friend. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got ten votes. Uh, some, yeah. one of the comments that, I, like, I totally agree with, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is it it gives when you get those articles that are written the other way, it gives a lot of like credit and permission to that opinion, yeah. Um, which I think we kind of all recognize as not being the the scientifically accurate opinion. Yeah, um, it's it's an opinion, but it's. So I that's what I kind of wanted to bring up there, was just like this is what the kickback is, and we need to be cognizant of that as people promoting native plants, what people criticize about them and what arguments they have, because um, you're going to have those conversations. And when someone brings that up, you need to know they might bring it up and then have a response already. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, we, we, we mentioned
0: a lot of people uh, – commented about this on in the facebook group uh we were getting private messages just thanking us for having this conversation so it was you know these are conversations we would have had anyway behind closed doors it's just nice that we have uh, a venue that we can air those conversations Mm -hmm. but it was nice to know that
1: there were so many like-minded people that felt the way that we did about it so so and so you, uh, I did say we were going to get back to native plants with this segment, but I'm yeah. knowing what my article is and seeing your article, Fran, uh, I don't know how much we're actually going to be talking about native plants here. Yeah, maybe not. So, maybe not. Fran, I'm going to defer my choice and oh. let you pick if you would like me to go first or you go first. Uh, You
0: know what? I'll go first. All right. I'll go first. You cool with that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, good. so my article this week, a little backstory was we received a phone call at the office from one of our customers and former guests, Cynthia Blackwood from uh, Friends of High School Park, and she reached out on our conversation about the the EcoShield salesman coming to my property in the conversation we had from the last buzz, and she let me know about an article that had been written by Beth Yell, who is with Penn State Cooperative Extension and also a former guest of ours about a very similar topic. And after reading the article, I decided to choose it, but Beth is actually going to come back on the podcast Mm -hmm. as a guest and we're going to focus a whole episode on this probably sometime in late October, early November. Uh, But we have that definitely coming up. So um, Beth wanted me to point out that she had helped uh, with this article uh, by entomologist Amy Corman and Jamie Kopko um, from uh, Penn State. So this article is from extension.psu.edu and it's called Watershed Friendly Mosquito Control. Um, and here we go. Aquatic macroinvertebrates are important to stream health in aquatic food webs. These macroinvertebrates, such as stoneflies, caddisflies, mayflies, and more, are at the base of the food web relationship that allows cycling of materials and nutrients within well-functioning aquatic systems. They eat organic matter, such as leaves, plant material, woody debris, algae, and bacteria, uh, and are then eaten by other organisms or emerge from the water and transport those nutrients back to terrestrial ecosystems. Without benthic macroinvertebrates, there is disruption in food webs for fish, birds, amphibians, reptiles, and other wildlife in and adjacent to waterways. Many land use such as urban development, construction, agriculture, and residential land management practices can disturb the ecology of waterways by introducing pollutants or sediments that impair the ability of aquatic insects to live or reproduce. One such activity is the broad-scale application of insecticides such as uh, pyrethroids that are considered reasonably safe for mammals but are very toxic to many aquatic organisms. This harm to non-target organisms is particularly problematic when the pesticide application is non-selective and is done in a manner that is not affected at controlling target organism. This is the case with many residential mosquito control services that generally spray backyards with pyrethroid insecticides, which are synthetic versions of an insecticide produced by a type of chrysanthemum flower. Why is general non targeted spraying a concern? These treatments target only adult mosquitoes, but adults are... The most difficult life-stage mosquitoes to manage because they are mobile, widely distributed, and spend much of their time resting in protected areas. As a result, adult mosquito treatments must use large amounts of insecticide over large areas to be infected. These insecticides are not specific to mosquitoes, so the treatment is likely to kill any other insect in the treated area. In many cases, the products used to manage mosquitoes remain active for one or two months, so the hazards to non-target insects remain long after the treatment is applied. In addition, continuous exposure to the same insecticides over many generations can result in the development of insecticide resistance, making future control more difficult. Insecticide applications to eliminate adult mosquitoes fit into mosquito IPM, but only when justified by heavy biting pressure and or disease transmission risk based on systematic mosquito and disease surveillance. Despite careful application, sometimes pesticides move from the target and the contaminant adjacent areas including creeks, streams, and other water bodies. Unfortunately, pyrethroids break down more slowly in water, especially where there is less sunlight and persist for much longer in aquatic sediments. This increases harmful impacts on non-targeted organisms when residue enters waterways. I swear, this isn't much longer. It's it's <laughs> very complicated, but I'm getting a yeah. ton. Oh, yeah. you, you can see why I chose this. The most effective and watershed-friendly mosquito control uses integrated press management, IPM, that specifically targets the mosquito lifestyle life cycle, and logical points where mosquitoes breed or rest. IPM is a decision-making process that weighs the risks and benefits of many control methods against the risks created by the pest. This can reduce mosquito populations and the likelihood of mosquito-borne illness while minimizing hazards to pollinators, aquatic macro uh, vertebrates, and other non-target organisms. Recommended strategies for managing mosquitoes include removing any areas of standing water or access to standing water. This should be done at least once a week to disrupt the reproductive cycle by preventing mosquitoes from laying eggs. Make sure to eliminate empty, clean, tightly covered uh, screen with mesh smaller than an adult mosquito to discard any outdoor objects that may hold water. This can include old tires, buckets or containers, rain barrels or cisterns, planter basins, toys, kiddie pools, lids, bird baths, trash or recycling containers, open plumbing vents, even clogged gutters where water can pool. Septic tank owners should inspect for any cracks, gaps, uh, or openings and repair them to prevent mosquito entry. To eliminate larvae in standing water or small ponds that cannot be drained, covered, or removed, adding products derived from naturally occurring bacteria called Bacillus uh, thuringiensis uh, in granules or dunks can be effective. For isolated ponds or water gardens, small insect-eating fish may be stocked with care to avoid introducing non-native and potentially destructive species and following regulations from the PA Fish and Boat Commission. In addition to removing mosquito breeding sites, removing resting sites for adults' mosquitoes may increase pressure from mos- uh, decrease pressure from some mosquito species. Adult mosquitoes rest in areas protected from sunlight, extreme temperatures, wind, and drying out. These may include wood piles, hollow trees, dense vegetation, undersides of decks and porches, and crawl spaces and basements, However, many species have long flight ranges and can find resting sites elsewhere. Community-wide mass deployment of mosquito traps may provide relief from some species of mosquitoes with little to no non-target effects, though many mosquito species will not be captured in high enough numbers to significantly affect biting pressure. The traps consist of a container of water that attract egg-laying mosquitoes and are most effective against species that favor small breeding containers and have short flight ranges, such as the Asian tiger mosquito. These traps typically work best if at least 80% of homes in a residential area use at least two traps in their yard. For adult mosquitoes, wearing protective clothing such as long pants and sleeves, or using insect repellents or skin or on skin or clothing can prevent bites. Additional interventions include limiting outdoor activities at peak mosquito biting times, screening areas, and using electric fans or repellent emitters where people gather after dusk. Focus any insecticide treatments only on areas where adult mosquitoes rest or seek shelter during the day, like piles of wood or debris. Any areas that are immediately adjacent to waterways that include plants that are frequented by beneficial insects and pollinators should be avoided. That is a wealth of information, oh, yeah. and and that kind of like spells it out and talks about a lot of the things that we thought and knew that you know you're a lot of these things are targeting more than just mosquitoes mm-hmm. in areas that are affecting other things. Like we talked yeah. about, my neighbor and and me. And having that conversation with the neighbor, we back up to a waterway. And I was just explaining to him with the, you know, if you want to de- decrease pressure, take away some of the hiding sites like uh, English ivy that he has in the yard. It's not only invasive, but mosquitoes like to hide in there. Uh, removing standing water, cleaning up some of those things, and using maybe citronella candles or mm-hmm. thermocells, you know, but spraying isn't solving the problem because. We have a bat population that feed on mosquitoes, dragonflies that feed on mosquitoes, but you're hurting these other things by spraying, but you're not, you're not fixing the breeding sites. So you may Mm -hmm. spray, but they're going to keep coming back, but you're hurting everything else and you're just breaking down the ecosystem. So I really, one of the things that Beth and I talked about via email were just the amount of misinformation that's. That's being given out oh, yeah. to homeowners from these companies that it's non-toxic, that it's oh it's all organic, so it's not hurting anything. We're just killing these things which you don't mm-hmm. want, um, which isn't necessarily the truth. And she sent a picture of a company whose van said, "We kill mosquitoes, not bees," mm-hmm. which, sure, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a nice, nice thought. Mm-hmm. but probably not 100% accurate. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to having a broader conversation about this, about more things that can be done, some of the myths that are being told to people, and and some of the ways that you can talk to neighbors if they're having treatments like this done just to kind of expel some of these myths that are told by the companies that are profiting from spraying these things.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing that, that's worked for me is um, – is i just got and I actually this is anecdotal but it was a side-by-side study um when i was up in maine a couple about a month ago a month and a half ago we stopped at the l L. bean store and i got this like lightweight hoodie and it has something called insect shield on it and basically it looked at it, it was uh it's treated with permethrin which is okay uh something that Kills ticks and insects, and that's one of the things that I've seen uh, people recommend for ticks. Sometimes is they like treat a rope with permethrin and like tie it in a place the ticks will go to it, and then that way it's not you're not spraying it and and killing all this other stuff. Um, Permethrin can be somewhat toxic to humans, but I what I've seen you can even buy the bottles of it, okay, and then you drench your clothes with it. And then let it dry, and then you wear them. Okay. Um, you don't want to put it on wet because then it can have negative impacts to you. Once it dries, it's it's safer. But uh, this comes with it already. And we were out fishing. One night I wasn't wearing it, and I was getting eaten alive. My wife was getting bit up. Next night I'm wearing it. My wife's not wearing it. I didn't get a single bite. Wow. And she was getting eaten up. Interesting. Um, and it was just like as soon as the sun set, it was, they were out in force. And uh, – so, yeah, that's something that just really worked for me. And it's like, it was long sleeve, and okay. but it was lightweight, so I could wear it in an 80-degree day. It wasn't an issue. Um So I th- was like, oh, this would be, like, really good for camping, hiking. Yeah. All Honestly, I wore the shirt, like, almost every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, ah, this probably stinks by the end. But, um, yeah, so that was awesome. just uh, – you can get the, the stuff yourself or you can uh, – there's companies out there that have it in the products they're selling now. So
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard of that. I'll have to yeah. look that up. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So All right, so what do you I, – I actually can't wait to hear your article because I, I read the title. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And yeah. I,
1: this is something that popped up on my feed the other day. Originally, I was going to use the – there was an article that came out in the New York Times, another Margaret Roach article uh, talking about uh, how Cornell University had done research and had some suggestions for uh, lawn alternatives. Um, using, I think it was Dantonia spicata and there was another Dantonia species. Okay. And then they said you can mix in some other uh, low-growing native flowering species and uh, and have like a flowering short, mow once or twice type mm-hmm. lawn. Um, and I don't like to use articles that are shared too much because I want to bring something new yeah. to the table. And then I was like, I've, I, had it, I saw it once, I'm like, oh, this is going to be my article. And then I was like, Oh, twice, three, four, five, and I'm like, I'm getting emailed it, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm going to pick something else. But that is a great article if yes. you're if you want to read it. And that was a guy Todd Bittner uh, from the Cornell. Oh, okay. Uh, but I don't know if it's called Cornell Botanic Gardens or or what they call it now. But um, but works there, and he did a lot of the research on that, and is cited in the article quite a bit. And really, really nice guy. And uh, so I went a different route. I found another article that was written by this guy, Thomas Christopher, who I believe is the host of the, the Growing Greener podcast. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and it was titled, uh, it came out in the Berkshire Eagle, which is a regional newspaper in Massachusetts. Uh, and the title of it was The Imported Coosa Dogwood was once hailed as a substitute for dying native dogwood trees. Now it's classified as an invasive species, which I hadn't heard. I, I'd heard that Coosa's were starting to es- escape into yeah. the wild areas. Uh, I hadn't seen it, but... I haven't seen it personally. Yeah, but it's something that I have I have heard people talking about, and I've seen it on some watch lists here and there. So, uh, But it goes in a little bit, the article goes in a little bit about why it may take a while for a non-native plant species to become invasive. And that was really interesting to me. So I'll read my, the article, and then uh, I'll give some more of my thoughts. All right. So, uh, I heard a wake-up call loud and clear last summer. I was part of a group touring a garden in Connecticut, and we were gathered around a handsome Coosa dogwood in full bloom. Various members of the group commented that similar trees in their gardens were spawning seedlings in adjacent woodlands. Subsequently, I found that the species was recently, has recently been identified as an emerging invasive in the state of New Jersey. How could this be? For decades, I had heard dog dogwoods described as harmless in this respect. The species was originally introduced into North America from the East Asian homeland in the 19th century, but it remained a rare collector's plant until the mid-1970s. That was when an anthracnose fungus became ravaging populations of our native dogwood tree, Cornus, Florida. Coosa dogwoods proved virtually immune to the disease and were heavily promoted as a substitute for the dying natives. Soon this rarity was planted all over. Don't worry was the message this species won't spread spontaneously and become invasive because the Coosa dogwood fruits don't appeal to American wildlife. Our native dogwood, Cornus, Florida, produces small, fat, rich berries that are the mainstay for migrating birds and uh, spread seeds all over. The Kusa dogwood's fruits, by contrast, are larger, the size and color of raspberries, and are food for monkeys in its original East Asian home. There's no monkeys in North America that uh, the reasoning went, so the Kusa dogwood couldn't spread. Except it has. A little research yielded additional disturbing facts. Researchers who had investigated the genetic material of the anthracnose fungus had concluded that it, too, is probably of foreign origin. The cooset dogwood's tolerance of it suggests that they likely evolved together and that the fungus may well have been brought to the eastern United States as a hitchhiker on imported cooset dogwood. Still, I wonder why this species seems to have strayed very little outside of gardens for so long and just now is turning invasive. For insights to this, I turn to Bethany Bradley, a Ph.D., a scientist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, whose field of research includes invasion ecology. The study of how plants and animals, uh, animal species, establish themselves when introduced into the landscape outside their native range, when why they spread and what the impact may have as immigrants on a local ecosystem. Bradley explained to me that there is commonly a lag between when plant species introduced into the new home and when it begins be, uh, when it begins to behave invasively. There can be a number of reasons for this. The initial introductions may be few and isolated, as there was the or as was the case with the Kusa dogwoods before the nineteen seventies. Such isolated specimens don't provide a sufficient population to breed and spread. Another cause for lag may be the plant needs time to adapt to its new environment. Alternatively, a change in the local conditions, especially climate, may favor the introduced species, sparking a population explosion. In this era of climate change, Bradley added, we may expect to see many formerly well-behaved introductions turn invasive. Related to this is sometimes a disturbance, whether fire, flood, or the arrival of new pests, uh, such as the dogwood anthracnose, may open gaps in the vegetation that provide opportunities for invasion. In light of this information, I wonder if the enduring popularity of introduced plants among gardeners may pose an unacceptable risk. The plant hunters who collect such plants from foreign clines are, in my experience, responsible people who are trying to avoid introducing plants that may become invasive. Daniel Hinckley, the dean of of this profession, for example, collaborated with botanist Sarah uh, Reichard in the early two thousand to develop a chest- checklist of traits that indicate whether a species would become or would be, a risk, would be a risk as an introduction. Still, given the history of the Coosa dogwood, I wonder how many collectors may have spread a plant across the continent, only to learn too late that it was a mistake. Bradley suggested that if gardeners would want to cultivate uh, rarities, they look to the many unexploited plants in their own native floras. In this, there is no threat of releasing a new plant, hoodlum, and in, and in an era of climate change, when such natives are stressed, propagating them and giving them additional homes may be lifesavers. That's a better mission for gardeners in my opinion. Um, yeah, so uh, this was something I I hadn't well, I didn't think Kusa dogwood, yeah. uh, non-native dogwood had invasive tendencies until I just heard about it fairly recently and uh and there's a lot of breeding going into Kusa dogwood now yeah. to get different colors. Uh primarily yes. pink and red. Yeah. Um, and happening right at Rutgers right. in New Jersey, really, really cool breeding program been, that they have going been on happening since the nineties, yeah. at least maybe the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when, uh, I went on a tour of that back in, I guess it was late May, early June of the, uh, the breeding they're doing and talking about how they were trying to get pink. It just seemed to happen randomly. Yeah. They'd get a pink one and they couldn't get it to happen when they tried to. And, um, so then, uh, they basically just took a uh, there's a little change the one guy who's in charge retired a new guy came in who was his like protege for a long time Mm. and he just said oh uh, you've been trying to really like dial in and have exactly the two partners that you want to produce a pink one and it hasn't worked i'm gonna go the other one just take a shotgun approach and just like here's a thousand plants and okay now we're gonna take the pink ones and Make a thousand more, and then do it again, and just let it happen randomly until we get consistently pink ones, and then we'll start to really dial in. So that's where the Scarlet Fire Dogwood came from—was that breeding program. Um, So there's some really cool stuff there because, and it's a a later flowering tree. You don't see many trees that flower later into the the spring and summer. Um, most of exactly. your trees are flowering so early, so that was the the other the benefit, benefit. It's yes, yeah. even versus the the normal flowering dogwood is it flowers so much later. It's so really it's, like an early it's summer.
0: It's not really a spring. It's it's maybe like really late spring or early summer. Um, part of the problem with you know the one thing that I think prevented the early Rutgers hybrids from becoming more popular mm-hmm. was they were bred for flower color, but mm-hmm. they were horrible nursery plants like they would get tall and leggy or they didn't they weren't respond well to pruning mm-hmm. so it wasn't a good looking nursery tree which yeah. prevented a lot of people yeah. from growing them you know the flower wasn't enough mm-hmm. to make people gravitate towards that yeah. for the the money but there was definitely you know I remember in the late 80s we were selling thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of cousa dogwoods and uh exactly the the Cornish Florida, there was so much anthracnose issue, yeah. no one wanted to plant them. Same with, with sycamore at that time, Platinus occidentalis. Everyone moved to London plane Tree. No one wanted mm-hmm. to plant Platinus because of anthracnose. So you had all these non natives coming in that were were hailed as better. Yeah. Um, and the fruit the fruit of the Coosa is probably bigger than a raspberry. It's probably. Oh, yeah, like they're, that. they're big.
1: I don't know. I think it was in I, color of raspberry. Size yeah. is a lot okay. bigger. Okay, uh, almost like it's not quite the size of a ping pong ball. I think it's toxic to humans, but I have tasted. That's it more. What I've always heard, I, it as I well. have
0: tasted it. It's kind of has the cons- when you break it open, it has the consistency of like a pawpaw.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Almost. Oh yeah. You know, but the guys that I worked with, you know, that's back before there was an internet or a Google. Mm-hmm. You know, and the guys would eat it and they go, oh they're they're tasty just don't eat too many yeah. or Hold you'll on, get sick. Hold on, let me crack open my encyclopedia and see. <laughs> yeah. No, it'd be like, "Hey, they they taste good, just don't eat too many or you'll get you'll get sick." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So, that that should have probably said something right there, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, but it,
1: it's what's really interesting to me is you think about what it takes for a, a non-native plant to become invasive and yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about is is you look at uh um how close the population is or how yeah. big the population do you have a, uh, with, with uh paw Like it's something you need to have two trees within like a hundred feet because they're fly pollinated. Yeah. Um, if they aren't with close enough, well, they aren't going to cross pollinate. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing for a lot of plants. Some of them are self fertile, but it's the same thing for a lot of plants. If you don't have that, that cross pollination happening in the, you have a plant in in one town, and then a plant in five towns over. Well, they're never going to be able to pollinate, oh, and um, when, when and you then think- you aren't going to get fruit. So it's going to look fine, but then you have a whole explosion of them, and then and again, you're planting uh, this. In this case, it's a tree, so you're planting a tree. It takes a couple years before it becomes mature enough to produce fruit, and then it's it takes a couple years for things to figure out how to pollinate it and how to uh, consume the fruit and all that. So it's it's it may is a ten year study long enough to decide if something's invasive or not. Should we be doing those studies before they're released or after? That's something, and that's that's a big debate in the nursery industry uh, or nursery and conservation space. You'll probably have conservation saying, "Hey, if we're going to release a new uh, non-native plant." we should be testing this first. It, and then the nursery's like, "Well, you should only test it once it, you see it's became a problem." And uh But that's the hard thing. Yeah. It's
0: you know, if if quantity is a factor, you mm-hmm. you're never going to factor that in a test. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I remember again late late 80s selling burning bush by the tractor trailer load. So in Philadelphia there was a, it there still is it's called the Franklin Mills Mall which was like our Mall of America at the time it was this huge monstrous mall and everything was hedged with burning bush the amount of burning bush that went there so there was being there was burning bush being sold in quantities that had never really existed before because of the the uh, construction boom. And now, all of a sudden, burning bush are invasive. So, had had they never been used in that quantity, mm-hmm. would they have become as invasive? Yeah. Or, or barberry? Like, there's not not a house being built that that doesn't have barberry put on it. It seems, or or corporate complex that has Japanese biry or or Japanese barberry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so hard to say because that took how many decades before they started to say it was a problem? Twenty years. 30 yeah. years you know before oh now it's an issue and that probably because it became so popular
1: yeah oh yeah that and i'm thinking and, about and wildlife the, yeah. like
0: evolving to
1: yeah to use it yeah there's so many like invasive species where you can kind of look back and see oh, oh this was looked fine and then all of a sudden it wasn't fine because of the population just everyone started to use them and it was every single house on the block had that in their yard
0: but it, what i hadn't thought about with this one specifically was that possibly the dogwood anthracnose came over yeah with the yeah. chinese dogwood because kind of like the the uh, the chestnut blight mm-hmm. coming over with the the uh the, the chinese, chinese ch- chestnuts, chestnuts. Yeah. yeah you know and it's i hadn't thought about that with with the dogwoods but it makes a ton of sense
1: oh yeah that uh that you can um when something has a resistance to something it so, I learned a lot about resistance from um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, she's uh, also from Cornell, uh, a weed scientist. Um, I'll, it's anyway. I'll look at it's like Lynn S- Sinowski. I want to say uh, I'll look up her name. Okay. But with resistance to to pesticides in her case, which she was describing, it's not that by using the pesticide you're creating the resistance what's the resistance is already there in a sense and then but by the application you're eliminating everything that doesn't have resistance and what's left to to reproduce is resistant which means the offspring tends to be more resistant and then you go through say with roundup resistance is a common one Okay, you use Roundup. You've eliminated everything that's not resistant to Roundup. There's some stuff that has a. It didn't. It knocked it back, but it didn't die. Well, that's what's left to to reproduce, and they cross and they make a whole bunch more that are now have a little bit more resistance because it's the offspring. It's not necessarily the individuals. And then you basically, if you take someone with red hair and and well, red hair is another good example. Like you can only have a child with red hair if both people have it as a recessive trait in there yeah. in the thing. So you could have two parents that don't have red hair, but they, it's recessive. I, and then it's, they end up having a kid with red hair. I have a son with red hair. It, that's yeah. just how the cross worked. Yeah. But, um, so it's the same thing with this. It's like, it's not guaranteed that it's going to have more resistance. So it could have less, but, uh, the next time it comes around, you're knocking out all the ones that have less resistance. You, the population that's left is all resistant. So they're going to breed. And now you have more that are going to be resistant and they're, mutating slightly with every everything. So every generation generation is going to, and that's how you do the same thing with, I'm assuming with like chestnut blight and you have the Chinese chestnuts. Well, the populations that were left, the ones that couldn't stand the the blight, they all died. (laughs) So what was left and was crossing was the ones that were blight resistant. Then you bring it to a new country and you have nothing that has any of that resistance. Or, or very very little of that resistance, so we're starting from square one versus something that's already at the boss. You're at the yeah. final boss. It's level 100. And <laughs> you're, you're still at level one, and you got to go and, and beat this thing. So, yeah, it's I'm, uh now interesting. I'm, I'm yeah, gonna, that that was something that it makes sense. It yeah. makes complete sense. But I don't know if it's it's been. Well, I doubt it's been proven. Now
0: I'm going to be on the lookout for Kusha dogwoods in the wild. We yeah. we were actually Agatha and I were out. For, we were doing some kayaking Sunday, and we were in the Robbinsville area, so we stopped by Papa's Pizza for some good pizza mm-hmm. for lunch. And we were sitting outside, and Agatha's like, "What are those trees? Are they native? Because they're really attractive." And I was like, "No, they're they're Chinese dogwoods, and they were beautiful. You know, okay. they're filled yes. with fruit. You know, they have a good multi stem form. They make these really dense uh, plant, and it's mm-hmm. it's just uh, I guess with some of these things, it's just a matter of time." You get that perfect storm, and, and it picks up. I'm wondering what's eating the fruit, though, Yeah, because like, that's a pretty big fruit. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't fleshy. Know. Like, it, it's easy to open up. The shell's not that hard. Like, you could take it and squeeze it in your hand and and pop it open. Um, so I'm just curious what what's eating it. Like, I wonder if mm-hmm. squirrels are eating it, or I don't know.
1: Yeah, but no, I think that was two good articles.
0: Two great articles. On Monday, we're going to post uh, the vote. Or the, or the poll up on the, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Uh, when we do, make sure you vote because… And, of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. All right, this is this is where I get to take a break and you get to do a lot of talking.
1: I sure do. do. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do uh,
0: listener shout-outs. Listener, listener shout-out, 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 shout-out. So I'm going to go first just to get yeah, it out of get, the way. Yeah, get yours out of the <laughs> way, Brandon. <laughs> so I wanted to give a shout-out to Andra Pruitt um, who has had so many good comments and posts in uh, the Native Plants, Healthy Planet Facebook group. Andra commented and gave a little bit more background on Tom's garden rant article uh, for the person. It was either the person that wrote it or they were commenting. Um, it's uh, someone involved in the Tennessee Cooperative Extension and and is the head of the Master Gardeners mm-hmm. um, and kind of what they're facing. And I just want to say thank you for, for, for being a kind person, being resilient, and – approaching these issues and matters with kindness and and sticking you know sticking in there to make a difference and Mm -hmm. um, if you're not a member of the Facebook group go become a member of the Facebook group Uh, look at the the poll for the last buzz and look at some Vondra's comments so but she's just had a lot of great comments overall and I just want to say thank you
1: for listening and being a member. Right. Yeah. So I have a whole lunch, uh, a whole lunch, a, a whole lunch. lunch. It, it will it be is, lunch yeah, by lunch the time, time you're done. We're done. <laughs> um, so I'm uh, just going to read little bits and of some of my favorite parts that they wrote for us. Uh, but we had uh, my fave Packer on uh, Apple podcast um, that loved that we we brought a lot of great information without taking ourselves too seriously. Which uh, I I don't know if we take ourselves seriously at all. I don't think I we think that's <laughs> some of our charm is sometimes we can say some R- really really dumb stuff. Yeah, and uh, and admit it, which I think yeah. is important. It's when you when you find out you're wrong, it makes you a little bit smarter. So come on, come on. we
0: just we we just spent five minutes at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast looking up the word uh, I don't, pedestal.
1: I think it was quite a bit more than five minutes. Yeah, probably. Um, then we had Amy M Z H. Uh, Frank, can you do me a favor and keep sure. a checklist of when I say each person? So I'll, I know I'll I cross, got them all. I'll cross them all. All right, yes. cool. Um, who, uh, they, they wrote that it was their first review of a podcast ever, which wow. that's a, what a compliment that <laughs> is. You. And they also wanted to keep a, a secret from their teenagers. So <laughs> I <I'd, laughs> I don't know if your teenagers are listening to this, but maybe. maybe. Um, but, no, that's really flattering that you, you went out of your way to review our podcast for the first time ever and, uh, and that you've, you've really enjoyed that Camille Dungy episode because we really did as well. Okay. And I think our next episode is going to – a lot of people enjoy that too. Um, then we have Gal, Gal J uh, that has been listening since 2020, and they're only reviewing us now? Think you, about all the costs. We're, we're coming uh, up on our. We're six months away
0: from our four four yeah. year anniversary.
1: Yeah, but no. We, again, we really appreciate that that um, that we've you recognize how we listen to what people write in and and want to provide content that people are interested in. And, and if they ask us to to feature someone, we try and. Get them on. doesn't and, always work. No. and We try to. We
0: appreci- appreciate you sticking with us because yeah. I know it took us a while to find our voice and our format that worked, and it was because of feedback from listeners like you that helped us get there, so we mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Yeah,
1: uh, Peperica uh, says they look forward to this podcast every week. Peperica Swirl. Peperica Pecor- Swirl. I missed that part. Uh, then Gadget19KS. 19Ks. 19, 19 I'm, it's hard to pronounce some of these <laughs> it's hard to figure out what they intended with the the name um uh likes that it has the perfect blend of native plant information and science uh fun and pizza so Ooh. we do talk about pizza we do lot. talk about pizza so registration failed <laughs> 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 that uh they're an estate gardener in cape cod and really loves listening to us on fridays when they're working um which that we even talked in the next episode there's a couple like we know of a garden center that plays us over the the radio every once in a while um until they get too many customer complaints um, <laughs> we have a couple nurseries that that have put us over the air and i only one hr report i've heard of for for tor- torture and torment yeah. <laughs> making well, an uninhabitable workplace i'm trying to remember <laughs> who it was it
0: was Brad Madrinsky that suggested we need to do to be um Syndicated on NPR. I'm yeah, waiting yeah. for that phone call.
1: Yeah, yeah, that would be a good one. So, um, then I still have more right. Yeah, yes. Uh, then we had Horticultural Helper, mm-hmm. um, has binged every episode and can say with authority that it's time well spent and that uh, we we are the perfect blend of time sensitive info, recent discoveries, observations, what's blooming, and how different communities in the field tackle issues. So uh, and says that we that. earned our five stars. Ooh, so thank I really you. like one. Uh let's see. You have two more. Two more. Two more. (laughs) I'm losing track. We got a bunch. Yeah. And you you heard our pleas and and answered. So we really like it. We had Johnny Hickory, um that thanks us. Did you see that one? Because that one's from Canada. So I don't know if Yeah, I can see it right here. All right. Yeah. So uh Johnny Hickory. I'm I'm looking at the actual reviews, the chartable list of them all. So um and uh, thanks for all the stream wildlife inspiration and looks forward to the podcast every week. Uh, so thank you, Johnny, from up in Canada. And last one is Wayside Lynn, uh, who likes this or that because we're always introducing articles that send her down new uh, new rabbit holes into the gardening world and, uh, and loves the style of our podcast because it's not preachy but fun.
0: Wayside Lynn actually comments on our post on Podbean which is another way yeah. that you can communicate with us. If you're mm-hmm. listening on Podbean, you can – you can should now, do we count those also if we're counting Spotify? Or we I counting, think we should, yeah. All right. Now, so. I don't
1: know if where else you can leave podcast reviews. but
0: Yeah, like you can leave uh, episode comments kind of like mm-hmm. uh, Spotify. Yeah. So we'll have and to count those. And I know you can
1: – on YouTube, you can leave stuff. Wh- whatever there is, we're going to take them all. We're counting it all. Twitter? And then we're going to – you, doing you doing can't too? listen on Twitter.
0: So. no i know uh-huh, that's true so it's got to be somewhere where you can listen
1: yeah all right i guess if all uh, well, i do no because then you're carrying yeah, yeah, facebook yeah, yeah i agree to, it has to it's be, gonna be too crazy
0: it has to be where you can listen yeah all right so, all right all right wow that that's was a it. lot i don't even I'm know where breath. we're at <laughs> but i really appreciate it that's that goes a long way we see oh, yeah the the change in our our rankings on apple podcast because of all these reviews and that's a big part of it and uh we we thank all of you for for binging or being with us from the beginning or even just finding us now and and being passionate enough to to, to let us know. Thank you so much. I I I've, I'm very humbled with the amount of five star reviews that came in this.
1: Yeah. So this all week. one two three four five six seven eight nine of you. Wow. Are now in the running along with all of our other past reviews to get a, a signed copy of Camille Dungie's book uh, Soil. The story of a Black Mother's Garden, which I have two copies right here. Uh, two copies. So we're giving away two. And Camille actually posted,
0: joined the the Facebook group, and said she was excited to find out who wins the the yeah. episodes. So,
1: yeah, or the episodes. Talking the, about uh, follow the follow up books. friend, we didn't realize that we Camille was right in our backyard. She we had no idea. <laughs> she and,
0: she had a speaking engagement at the Princeton Seminary yeah. on Friday night, and I found out literally probably right before uh the event i had no idea and yeah. she she commented she for she was scolded by a lot of people for not letting them know that she was in the area and forgot how close the east coast can be yes sometimes yeah. cuz she was maybe from here what 30 like, minutes yeah 30 <laughs> it minutes was close so yeah, that, so I scolded her as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we don't have any que- – no, uh, no questions or comments from the question and comment line. No Grow Read a Book. No. Um, mm-hmm. No Tom's Petty or not that I'm one to complain. Um, this isn't really a lengthy topic, but I just wanted to throw it out there, and we talk about this in next week's episode as well, that we started getting calls. It's the first time I had ever heard of it where – the government was requesting that native plants come from a certified pesticide and
1: herbicide-free nursery.
0: And I don't know any. I don't know of any.
1: I know of – well, not certified. Yeah. Um, I know of a handful of nurseries that do that yeah. but aren't certified. But even um, even then, as they, they talk – as I've talked to them, they're like, well, we don't use anything, but yeah. – we don't we are buying in our our liners so we get all our small plants from somewhere else and uh, we try and buy from people we trust and we'll have conversations when we can but we don't know everything they do yeah um, so I I yeah it it's a
0: wonderful thought and idea but then we start started to think about it we've had this conversation when we talked to Xerxes about uh, pesticides and herbicides that is it is it scalable to a big a big uh, size I I don't know. Like, you know, and having this conversation with one of the people that called to inquire, they had the same question if it was scalable and they're like, "Oh, well we know this place doesn't use herbicides and pesticides." I was like, "Well, you know, that's funny because we sent them we sent them a truckload of material today and mm-hmm. I know that we use pesticides and herbicides. Now we use it sparingly, when you look at our plants, you can see that they're eaten. You can see that maybe there's a little mildew, a powdery mildew from the time of the year. Um, we're, we're trying to – there's no neonics, and we're trying to use it sparingly. But one of our coworkers posted, like in order to be a nursery, you have to get inspected to get a, a certificate every year, a nursery certificate that says you are pesticide-free. Or, or pest, not pesi- pesticide, free. pest-free. Yeah. So can you be pest-free without spraying any – herbicide and pesticide to get your Mm -hmm. nursery certificate i don't know it's just very i'm not condemning it or saying this is a bad idea it's just i hadn't thought about it but it's very it's very lofty aspirations oh yeah
1: and that was uh one of the things he actually brought up too was um was like aphids on milkweed and well for from a nursery side of things like uphold your nursery standards you need to get rid of those yeah but on a consumer end of things, there's a them. lot of people who look at that and say, I'm going to buy that one because I know if it has aphids, I know it hasn't yeah. been treated. Yeah. Um, or I'm a lot more confident that hasn't been treated. And then you're going to get ladybugs. You're going to yeah. get all these so beneficial it's, insects. It's a tough balance because it's like, it's one of those things where, oh yeah, those are, you have pests on the plant and, and then you're transporting to other areas. That's like a big, big no-no. Yeah. Uh, that's. We just talked about invasive plants spread, but that's one yeah. of the ways invasive insects spread um, so it's a, yeah, it's a delicate conversation. It's something in a dream world that would be it would be ideal really really yeah. possible but it's it's a, it's a lot more complicated than than I think a lot of people might think it is you know the, the nice thing is if if that's their goal and,
0: and you put it out there and you throw the gauntlet down and say, this is what we want it kind of makes people work towards achieving it. The same way we talk mm-hmm. about, hey, what are the 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 peat moss alternatives out there? What can we do to be more sustainable? If that's your goal, you're going to work towards it. I would love to know or see the work being done towards that to move. In in a perfect world, we would all love to not use yeah. herbicide and pesticides. And I think we're exemplary in in our lack of use of those things. Mm-hmm. Um and it challenges the the traditional view of what a nursery should look like yeah you know like a traditional ornamental nursery is kind of like a lawn and <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways like it's well manicured there's no weeds there's no insect interaction everything is 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 perfect and that's not necessarily what's best for the plants or the pollinators or the environment or the food web. So it kind of challenges and breaks down those stereotypes of what a nursery should look like and mm-hmm. and maybe everyone can work towards those goals. But I would I would love to see that, but I just hadn't heard of it before and I just don't know how attainable it is right away. Yeah,
1: it's um but I I don't know if there's an actual like certification program I I've never seen it or I heard think about. that's that was what struck me is uh, is asking for like a certified but I don't yeah I don't know of a, a certification program for that yeah um, I know there's well there's one that's um, sank and I forget what it stands for which is a nursery thing but that's like that you're a way to if you get that certification it means that you're going doing a lot of things to keep yourself pest free yeah um so that it makes it a little easier to to sell plants um and and not have to get inspections if you're going out mm-hmm. of region and that yeah. kind of stuff but mm. we
0: we know of people using uh biological uh control like mm-hmm. other ince- uh, beneficial yeah. insects um you, you know a- almost every nursery uses ipm oh. integrated pest management yeah. where you're inspecting there's a lot of things that can be done to limit the, what you use
1: yeah um, yeah. there's something else I was just thinking about like as I brought up the you have these phytosanitary inspections so we don't we typically don't ship stuff out of our region usually yeah. when we get requests from out of our region we say hey like this is you, yeah. you might want to look for some place closer, closer to you because we're doing the local eco type yeah. thing but uh, but every once in a while we'll get orders because they, they just can't find yeah. stuff closer and uh, there's some states that require that we, we like, treat our plants with a, I don't know if it's ever been a neonic, but, like, there, there'll be a list yeah. and say, hey, you have to treat your your plants with this yeah. pesticide while being watched by, like, yeah. a, someone from the Department of Agriculture so they know you actually did it. Yeah. um like And when- then before you can even ship it. So then you have, okay, you have a treatment. You have a 12-hour, 24-hour reentry usually with that. And then so we got to treat it and then load it up, and then ship it all within. Like, it is a really narrow window. You have to actually move it then until you'd have to treat it
0: again. And, and a lot of it is treating the soil, not the plant. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it's if you're doing oh, I've, fair. I've seen both. Have you seen both? Yeah, okay. with insects, uh, certain stuff. Like, with, and this is a Japanese beetle. Yeah. Um, I'm worried it would happen for spotted lanternfly. That was a concern I was, yeah. at one point is is other states were going to say, hey, stuff has to be treated to yeah. kill the spotted lanternflies before it even gets shipped here, yeah. and New Jersey's Department of Agriculture and Pennsylvania's Department of Agriculture really advocated for not doing that and doing like these self-check things. Yeah, and it's, um, like and I, I don't think a lot of them. I'm sure plenty of them got out through plant material, but I doubt that was the major cause of their spread. Is yeah. through through nursery stock.
0: Like I, I know if you're shipping bare root, it's it's a little bit easier because there's no soil and you're dipping the plants. Uh, smaller plants, but then like when I was at Princeton Nurseries, in order to ship a bald and burlap tree, say a two-inch caliper tree, a 24-inch root ball that weighs hundreds of pounds, the inspector was like, if you want to ship this into an area that ha- that is gypsy moth or Japanese beetle-free, mm-hmm. you have to build a vat, yeah. mix this chemical, and submerge each root ball for 20 minutes mm-hmm. while I watch you do it. Yeah, and, he, and they're like, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to do it so yeah. don't just we're not we're not going to do the process it's too expensive you can't do it we're not yep. going to monitor it you're just not allowed to ship there yeah so it's it's uh yeah it, there, there's a lot of things to factor in to those areas and maybe that answer is if you if mm-hmm. you're shipping all locally like if you're if you're all doing eco eco type yeah. and you're just shipping in your local region then those things aren't even a factor mm-hmm. but it's just if it's a government, certification program it goes against being get your nurse getting your nursery certificate or a phytosanitary Mm -hmm. certificate which is it they're 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 counter not counterproductive but they're opposites yeah so good convo friend yeah thank you thank you um so this week for take it or leave it tom is supplying the topic and it comes in
1: form of a video yeah. that I have. And this is actually something my mom sent to me. So All right. uh, I don't know how we could edit it out where they don't say the brand. But uh, eh, okay. it doesn't matter. That's okay. It's out there on Facebook for everyone to listen to.
0: All right. So I'm going to cue it up. Let's let's. I haven't listened to it. This is the 1st time I'm hearing it. And it's not playing. Why is that?
1: Do you have the sound turned up, Fran? Yeah, I do. Okay. I know you've done that before.
0: No, I actually – and we played it beforehand –
1: yeah you're right it's really loud it's just
0: not playing because I turned it down Mm. and now no sound is coming out let me see
1: do you want me to play it for you again oh there we go alright for some reason I had to unplug and it. come with me as I head to my favorite plant nursery to get some fresh air my seasonal allergies have been acting up so today I'm on the hunt for a female tree I partnered with the makers of Claritin to tell you all about the diversity tree project a program aiming to help curb rising pollen levels by planting more female trees. Did you know that male trees produce pollen and female trees don't? I'm planting a female tree in my yard to do my part to help reduce pollen levels and help restore botanical balance. What does a ginger do? Uh, well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was the next. Yeah. The well, next. friend, that could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. That's, you never know yeah. what's going to
1: pop up. Now, yeah, now I know what you're Videos you're watching in your free time is all about ginger <laughs> children. <laughs> of which you have one. Uh, did it's, I ever tell I, I
0: know this is so cruel. You want to uh, save it for your secret? I'll save it for my there secret. You. Something that I did so I do have a son that's a ginger and it's it's a comment. Does he
1: like you calling him that?
0: It doesn't phase okay. him. Okay. It doesn't phase him. So um but it was a funny comment that
1: I made as a joke to him that I'll share as a secret. All right. All right. Well, cool. <laughs> Basically, my question with that is: is does planting female trees curb the the male pollen that's in the air?
0: I I don't know, and it's. Or, I, I guess, are you buying that? I'm I'm not buying uh-huh. that because to me, now you do it. We do know that you don't need as many males per female. Like if you're trying to produce. Say like winterberry holly, you're trying to get a berry. They tell you one male – you need one male plant per 10 female plants. Um, but how does that affect the food web by producing less pollen? Mm-hmm. Like so hey, it's inconvenient for us so let's start limiting plant gender in the wild, which sounds a little ridiculous to me. But you can't control it outside of your yard. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's I um. There, there's there's so many
1: factors that. I I had heard at one point that that you are we're seeing larger pollen clouds, and they think it is because of. There's not as much. Um, somehow the trees are sensing there's not as much reproduction going on. Okay. And uh, the pollen just kind of going out there, and then there's there's it's doing nothing, um, and somehow the trees are responding by putting out more pollen. I don't know how all that works, uh, or where I even heard it, but I remember <laughs> hearing that someplace. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So in that in that theory, yeah, planting a female tree that's receptive, but you're gonna have to plant a female tree that's also the same as the male trees in your area yeah, to receive some of that pollen. I can understand that. It's getting some of the pollen out of yeah. the air. Um, how many female trees are you going to have to plant to take enough pollen out of the air? Like I – I, and this is, again, going back to sometimes we have an overreaction. We planted There's a lot just, of male trees because yeah. the female trees are what people consider messy and nice. they're producing fruit and the fruit's dropping on the sidewalks or on the yeah. ground and that's what people don't want. Um But, yeah, to me, a lot of these are wind-pollinated species. The ones that you're going to have the the allergies to are wind-pollinated species Is in the air. It's just going wherever the wind takes it. So by having, like, a female tree, is that really going to help you that much? I guess it's one of those things If everyone planted. Female trees that were the same as what's producing pollen in their area. Yeah, I guess it could make a difference. But the diversity project that they have is – I was going to say, do to plant much. more, uh, more, uh, more female trees to kind of do what we just talked about, and they're doing the first female forest in uh, Richmond, Virginia, at Forest Hill Park. So they're going to, which was one of the worst cities for allergies in twenty twenty two. So I don't know. I, it, I, I can, I can buy that this could help. I just don't know how much it's going to help. How much of a culprit is
0: tree pollen yeah. compared to shrubs or herbaceous? Like, um, Obviously,
1: a large tree can produce a lot of pollen. I don't know. You think about it. I'm trying to think of wind-pollinated shrubs, and I don't have a lot that are like coming to mind. I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch, where I can think of a ton of wind-pollinated trees. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's not, goldenrod is not what you're allergic to. It's ragweed. So Stop yeah. saying it's goldenrod. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, just, I had to say that before. When you think about, far. all right, so you uh, think
0: about, um, like, you know, certain trees are male trees yeah. by cultivar that are planted because like you said, like ginkgo, people don't want ginkgo fruit mm-hmm. because it's, it's a, a very odorous, yeah. uh, Pungent smell, um, so you know people are planting. But if you're planting straight species, whether it's male or female, like I don't know why you would choose one over the other, mm-hmm. you know, or say I'm not I'm not planting any male trees, yeah, like just because all oh, my allergies are bad. Because I guarantee you planting enough female trees, your allergy you're still using Claritin, yeah, like your allergies are probably. You're gonna have good years. You're gonna have bad years. Yeah, I don't know. That just seems like a very extreme
1: knee jerk. Yeah, it's, reaction. It, to me, it seems like um, it seems like uh, a well intentioned project that is is there more for um, the appeal of it for people who yeah. don't necessarily know. I'm not saying we know what we're talking about, no. but people who who are less knowledgeable in plants than we are, um, which there's a few. there's a just, few of those people out there, but uh, that is it's saying, oh oh look, Claritton's saying plant female trees and look, it's it's greenwashing
0: in a way. but I'm just trying to figure out what Claritin's take is on that. Yeah. How, how are they what was the reason of this? Because their goal is to sell claritin. Their goal is if everyone's allergies went away, they wouldn't have a business yeah, and I,
1: There's a big concept in in business, um, which is actually a true – it's a good thing. It's a true thing. Um, and this is what I think – Like, I feel like they're trying to do that, but it's missing. Uh, but a concept in business is you want to help a person before they need you. Yeah. So if you have like a storm cleanup company and there's a hurricane coming, you don't want to be the person after the hurricane saying, hey, call me to help clean up your, your home – you want to be the person who beforehand is giving people all the tools so they don't need you. Yeah. Hey, shutter your windows with this kind of like this kind of two by four, this kind of board, and you're going to have better success of your windows not breaking. Do this, do that. Here's how what you should have in your your storm preparedness kit. Like, make sure you have extra batteries for a flashlight. Make sure you have this and this kind of food and this kind of food. That if you send out that email to your mailing list, people are then going to when the storm comes and they need help they're going to be like these guys were trying to help me. I'm calling them. Yeah. I'm not calling the guy who's trying to take my money afterwards. I feel like that's what they're trying, they're trying to, to do to. here. Um I just don't know that. One I don't know if it actually works and two I I don't I don't know if it actually works. I don't know that it makes a big it's, enough difference yeah.
0: to tell everyone, "All right, if you're planting a tree right now, maybe you're helping future generations." You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not planting <sighs> Like you're, you're talking about how, how fast growth rates are in trees and when it's going to become a pollen issue in a certain effect. I don't know that you're really making that much of a difference, at least mm-hmm. not in your lifetime. Um, and I don't know what imbalance you're creating in the future.
1: Yeah. We've, we've had a lot of like tree botanical sexism in the past with planting all male trees yeah. and it caused a lot of this problem. But I don't see how planting female trees is the actual solution. I think it's cutting down the male trees and replacing them with female trees is yeah. the solution. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's missing. Is And they – for their messaging, for the, the greenwashing stand, they can't say, oh, you got to cut down trees too because people don't like that. It's true that you need yeah. to cut down trees <laughs> like for a lot of things. Well, more fema- but people don't like that. More it's- female trees are more trees that can be pollinated. Yeah. yeah. So
0: – producing more offspring so if you're planting the wrong female trees you could be oh yeah then we're an issue
1: and that or, was the other thing like they didn't they did just said female trees it's not they didn't native like yeah it's not native species it's not so yeah go go plant all kinds of invasive female <laughs> trees and that's good under their watch it's i and i'm sure it's a lot more complicated than we're making it sound what their whole diversa I, tree project is but i appreciate yeah. that The the holistic approach to
0: tackling it, I just don't know that I agree with it Mm -hmm. because I just feel like there's something we don't know that this is going to create a problem down the road. Yeah, And it's probably – maybe there's not that many people doing it that even makes – maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than it actually is, which is very – I'm not saying that I don't. I'm not susceptible to knee-jerk reactions myself. Right. I just don't I, know. I'd have to research it a lot more before I I would either get behind. Like I, at face value, I'd have to leaf it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm leafing it too. Um, I'm going to do a little more research on this too, and will we'll do it for follow up on right. the next buzz. Let's do a follow up on that because, because uh, yeah, no. But I want to see what you thought if you when you just like you just watch or listen to it in this case if you were going to say. Oh, that makes sense. Or uh, it doesn't. I
0: don't know if, that, no. don't know if
1: that's going to work. <laughs> yeah. Like I did. I, yeah. so, my mom sent it to me, and she's like, "You should talk about this on the podcast." That I watched. Yeah. It. I'm like, "Yeah, hey, that doesn't sound like yeah. it's going to work at all."
0: No, I but, I agree. Like I I'm like oh, I'm not sure that that's the right logic.
1: Yep. yep. You know,
0: I, it doesn't track well with me. But maybe I'm off. It just doesn't seem
1: right yeah exactly so well that is all we have for you today so thank you everyone for joining us we hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz thank you again everyone for listening native plants healthy planet presented by pines Nursery. how can you not thank rj comer for
0: this iconic buzz intro theme music uh make sure you stream or buy rj's music uh wherever you consume music and check out his americana playlist on pandora thank you to dave bennett for our native plant anthem uh it's i love that that's a fixture on the podcast now. Follow us on Twitter, or I should say, I should change that to say X. Follow us on X at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We also have Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. Don't forget about the question and comment line. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment, and we'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And we've had so many wonderful conversations on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group and feedback. We appreciate it. You keep us going, and you make this happen. So thank you.
1: Yeah, so you can buy native plants healthy planet merch at our website www, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. That was seven W that time. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a link right at the top, takes you to the Teespring store. Uh, we got shirts, aprons, phone cases. A lot of people buying phone cases, I saw. Wow. I just did a whole report um, to break down like who bought what. I was like, wow, a lot of a lot of it's not just Russ Fenari. Wow <laughs> unless maybe it is just Russ Fenari. Maybe he's, he's giving him his gifts. He's got his his uh, retirement phone. He's got a personal <laughs> phone. He's giving him his gifts. Yeah, maybe it's all... It's all- He's got a burner, phones. burner phones.
0: <laughs> this is for my native
1: plant dealer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we have all stuff up there and we don't keep any of that money. It, it all goes into our PayPal account and then at a point in time, which we've done four times now, uh, when there's a big enough sum in there that we feel is, is generous enough that we can give to someone where they're not going to be like, oh, they only yeah. gave me 10 bucks. We give it to someone who we think is doing really good stuff in the the native plant and outdoor space. So uh, we're working towards our next gift, which uh, hopefully we do before the end of the year. Oh, that would be awesome. I would appreciate that. So keep buying shirts uh, and buy them for friends. Buy them for kids. You know, we have kids' shirts up there too. So you can give them, like, it's my niece's birthday coming up. I'm going to photo op. Get a nice shirt for for her and make a nice little social media post out of it. I my son has one. He started going to nature school. Compliment on the first day. Awesome. Word on the first day too. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So uh, you can also listen to our podcast or uh, really wherever you're listening now. So you can keep listening there, or you can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. Not Stitcher, excuse me. I have to. I Heart Radio. That too. <laughs> I Stitcher does no longer. I have doing to it. update the uh, the yeah. outro a little bit. Um, and not just us. I don't think Stitcher does any podcast. No, they're done. They're, they there ceased is. as an yes. organization. They're, they produce one that plays podcasts, podcasts, but they're not a streaming yeah. service yeah. any longer. Um, and do us a favor. Uh, leave us a five-star review. That goes a long, long way. Do a little write-up, and you're entered to win Camille Dungy's book, Soil, uh, the Story of a Black Mother's Garden. Uh, that We just had or, yeah. we have a two copies to give away there. And, uh, and you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean is what we just discussed yeah. and decided today. We're going to be giving away those books in not next buzz episode, the one after that, episode 180. We're going to be giving those away. So you have about three weeks to get your review in account. Right. So if you didn't heed our last call, do it now. Do it now. Um, yeah. So with that, uh, Fran, you have today's secret.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but I was I was on the road with my my kids, and bef- I, I have to preface it by saying that. My kids were teenagers at this point, so they weren't like little kids when I made the joke. But we were driving somewhere and we're having conversation and and my son Cole asked – because we were talking about his red hair and he was giving us facts for for people with red hair. And he's like, so who in our family – had red hair. He's like – because I asked mom and she couldn't think of anyone in her family that had red hair. He's like, how about you? And I kind of straight-faced and went, I don't know. You know, If we ever figure out who your real father is, we can ask <laughs> – we can ask who in his family had red hair. And the look on his face – he was probably like 17 at the time. And my oldest like had to turn away because he started he, – he was trying to like not crack up. But then once I saw the look on his face, I, I had to say, it's a joke. It's a joke. I'm your I'm your real dad. I'm not like, – I was just I'm, – I'm kidding with you. But his face was like his jaw dropped to the floor. So
1: there you go. I'm a mean dad. Yeah, yeah. That's, prob- <laughs> that's probably something that crossed the line. Yeah. You had told me that story before. Okay. And I think I thought that then too. Humorous, he was old. But- now,
0: had he been eight or nine,
1: probably really, really bad taste. He was 17. Yeah. I don't know. That was, and I immediately withdrew the yeah. joke. So yeah. that's probably, yeah, that's probably one you probably shouldn't touch realistically. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you never you never joke about, uh, as an employer, you should never joke and joke about someone getting fired. Yeah. And that's just yeah, in, in that's bad not funny. taste. Um, funny sometimes in yeah. the employer's opinion, <laughs> but it's not something that's very serious for other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's probably another one. No. Don't joke about actual yeah. paternity. Was, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guaranteed him that I was his yeah. real father so, all right well it was a, it was a secret <laughs> 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 with that, with that. <laughs> thank you thank you everyone I'm
0: I, I am Fran. thanks again everyone coming up uh next week I think I'm just trying to think oh this will be uh coming up next week we have Tim Mack from birdscaping industries. Uh, and we had a very insightful conversation about his
1: unique business model. Yeah. Unique business model and how he got into it was really, really fascinating. And, um, and, and Fran brings it up in the episode quite a bit. So many people are saying, Hey, I, I want this, but I can't do it myself and I can't find anyone to do it for me. Well, we have a, a potential solution in your neck of the woods. So I, depending on where you live, if it's, uh, he's in Larchmont, like New York, so New Rochelle, New York area. Yeah, so I'm sure uh,
0: he's, he'd be willing to expand his his reach if the business opportunities were there. So, yeah. so make sure you tune in for that. It was a, a fantastic episode, and we can't wait for you to hear it. And we'll see you again next time. And until then, keep it native.
1: Woods, wetlands, and dales Grows a bounty of beauty that never fails Our native plants, so diverse and so rare Treasures of our land beyond compare From the friends below,
0: soaring oaks above Each plant has a place, each is love Monarch caterpillars, monks, milk, weeds so tall Bees buzzed about, sipping lectures all Oh native plants, how do you grace this land In your diversity, we will take a stand to preserve you protect and preserve the Terrorist's economy, we and second to To protect and preserve Earth, to restore the plan plant food that you just can't ignore. by acid the is so stunning, can't help but door Their colors, their fragrance, a boost for the eyes Their value too wild, like no need to disguise Native clan, how you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand